wonder if you'd take a Bible and turn back to the book of Acts with me. Uh, our text is the first ten verses there of Acts chapter 3. What are your expectations? Uh, I know you got them. Everybody has them. Uh, and I mean your big Expectation, not the little day-to-day ones. We all have those little expectations. We have lots of little expectations. Today, for example, we probably all expect to, to eat something for lunch later on, to see and maybe chat with a friend or two here this morning. We all expect me to say the words in conclusion within 30 minutes. Over the next few days, some expect to go to work tomorrow morning. Others expect to go to school, but not you who are in public school, right? Because you expect to be off tomorrow because tomorrow is President's Day. So you expect to do something far more fun than going to school. Over the next few weeks, we expect to deal in some way with our tax returns. We expect the temperatures to warm up. We expect to see dandelions in our yards. We all have day-to-day expectations. Those aren't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about big, outside-the-box, dream-sized expectations. Great expectations. Like, I am going to find my dream job. I'm going to make millions of dollars before I'm 30 or 40, or 50, or I'm dead. (laughs) I'm going to make a video that goes viral. I'm going to find the perfect guy, girl, have a a roomy but fuel-efficient SUV load of kids, and I'm going to live happily ever after. I'm going to leave a bigger-than-life spiritual legacy. I'm going to be... A gentleman. That was Pip's great expectation in Charles Dickens' book. In my lifetime, I'm going to watch Cincinnati actually win a Super Bowl. (laughs) I'm talking about some of those kind of expectations. Do you have any? Do you have one? Or has the, the weight of the world, especially these last couple years, Beaten your expectations out of you. That can happen. That can happen. We dare to dream the impossible dream. And then the drone of the everyday douses our dream. And what the daily drone doesn't douse withers under the weight of our whacked world. When was the last time you had a great expectation that was met, let alone exceeded? I wonder. If it's been a while, sometimes that happens in our broken world. It does. That's what happened here in Acts chapter 3. Years before this moment that's recorded here for us, years before this, There was some young Jewish couple who were so excited to be having a baby. And and maybe even a son. 
I mean, that's what the ultrasound looked like there at Central Hebrew Hospital. (laughs) Or maybe they went to St. Jew East. I don't know. I know they weren't a good Samaritan. (laughs) They wouldn't have gone there. So either way, the thought of this little boy was not to be sexist or anything, but, but sons back then were warmly welcomed because, well, I mean, they were good for the parents' retirement years, you know, because sons were the earners and they could take over the family farm or the property or the business or whatever. So this couple was so happy and hopeful. They were filled with this great expectation. Everything was looking up. But then, disappointment. They would have a son, but the son they would have could not walk. Great expectation shattered. That sounds cruel to us, uh, but it was a simple matter of economics in those days. There was no prosthetics, there was no wheelchairs. And there were no office jobs for people who could not walk and lift and and carry. So a parent's expectation of a secure life resting on the birth of a healthy son and a son's expectation of a good life of work and friends and a wife and children that was all dashed by being born with legs that wouldn't work. So a major shift in expectation has to occur. There's a severe downgrade to an existence as a beggar, trusting in his fellow Jews' willingness to follow the third of the three pillars of the Jewish faith, worship, scripture study, and the giving of alms, helping the poor, helping those who are truly unable to work, to provide for them. So he placed himself, or rather, he was placed near one of the temple gates, a location where conventional wisdom would say the odds of receiving help were pretty good. It's sort of like being just outside of Chick-fil-A today, right? If you're depending on the generosity of other people, you're smart to station yourself where you think some nice, kind people would be. To collect enough alms to buy food for the day had become this man's great expectation. But God thought differently about this man. Uh, This fellow didn't know it, but God had expectations for him that were way greater than he could have ever imagined. Because he had no expectation of being healed. Even in Jesus' day. Even when Jesus was alive, he healed quite a lot of of people, but there were still many, many, many more who never saw Jesus, who never heard of Jesus, and who were not healed by Jesus. Besides, even if this fellow had heard of Jesus, which he probably had, Jesus was no longer around. So he had no expectation of being healed. So when he realized he'd caught the attention of Peter and John as they were walking into the temple, his, his great 
expectation, his only expectation was for a contribution. It seems to me that most people today expect too much from other people and they expect too little from God. That's why people today are so often at each other's throats. (laughs) We expect quite a lot of people. We expect them to be and to do for us this or that or the other because we're broken and we're hurting and we need their help. What we forget is that they are broken and hurting too. And so when they don't meet our expectations, we get upset with them. Our culture expects too much from other people and we expect too little from God. That's why God is increasingly pushed out of our cultural reality. We no longer believe he can make any difference. So he's no longer a consideration in more and more people's lives. Expecting too much of people, expecting too little of God. We're moving down those roads. And I'll tell you this, that is the strategy of our enemy. In achieving his own great expectation of destroying you and me and this world. That is his strategy. We have an enemy who wants everybody to think like that, to expect too much from people and too little from God. Because, I mean, how better to destroy the world than to turn people against each other and to put God out to pasture? (laughs) You can't do much better than that. If your intent is to destroy this world, we got to recognize that that's his strategy and we have to push back on it. That's what followers of Christ are called to do. We are called to proclaim the opposite of what the enemy says. Followers of Jesus, we recognize that people are broken and people are hurting. And because of that, we're going, they're going to let us down. They're going to let us down from time to time. People are limited. People are finite. And so as God shows mercy and forgiveness to us, we are called to show mercy and forgiveness to others. At the same time, we understand that God is unlimited and infinite and powerful, all powerful. So we rest our hopes and we rest our dreams upon him. We invest our great expectations in him. We reverse the perspective of exalting people and diminishing God. The perspective that the enemy is trying to establish in our world. And in doing that, we not only reveal reality. We expand other people's expectations. We broaden each other's conceptions of what's really Possible. We break people out of these little boxes of preconceived notions. And we help people. We give those around us a reason to look up. And to see God and to see what's possible with him. That's what faith, when it's exercised, does. That's what it accomplishes. And that's what Peter and John did here for this guy. And they did it for everybody around there in that moment. On that day, this poor fellow's greatest expectation was for some little bit of money to be tossed into his lap. But Peter and John offer far more than he expected. They say to him, hey, you need to adjust your expectations here. 
Why? Because God is here. God is alive and well, and he's powerful, and he's compassionate, and he's merciful, and he is able to heal you right here, today. So tell us, tell us, will you adjust your expectations? Will you dare to believe that with God, far more than you're expecting right now is possible? And the man's answer was, sure, And he took Peter's hand, Peter put his hand down, and he was raised to stand, and then he took a step or two, and then he walked, and then he ran, and then he jumped, none of which he'd ever done before. And everybody saw, and everybody was amazed there in the temple. You know, some people have defined true miracles by these three criteria. Deliverance from a grave condition, occurring in response to a direct command in the name of Christ, and indisputable public acknowledgement. So however you define it, this was undoubtedly a real miracle. A true miracle. This fellow became the living embodiment of the Messianic age. He was a personal fulfillment of Isaiah, what he said in chapter 35, verse 6, where he promises that when the Messiah comes, the lame will leap like a deer. That's just what this guy did. So wasn't he glad that Peter and John went to worship that day? Christendom through the ages has said, and written much towards systematizing how precisely this fellow was healed so we might have a prescription for recreating it. That's how we deal with things like this. We say, okay, how did this work so we can do it again and again and again and again? Some say it was Peter and John's faith that did it. Some say it was the fellow's faith that did it. Some say it was a combination of everybody's faith. Some say it was just simply the name of Jesus. Some say it was a unique situation, a moment that could not be repeated. Some say it's entirely God's choice of when, how, and who. So there's no need to even try to comprehend, much less expect to replicate this. How do we understand this? Let's start with what we know. We know this. You can't make God fit into some formula. God doesn't work like that. He doesn't work according to our prescriptions and according to our equations. If history proves anything, it proves that just when we think we have God figured out, he's going to do something different. (laughs) So just because we might do A and then B and then C doesn't mean that God is bound to give us the D. At the same time, we also know that if we live our lives with tiny expectations of God and tiny expectations of his work, we are drastically underestimating him. And we will never see him act in substantial ways. Although it's never ours to demand of God to act, the fact is Jesus says far too much about God's willingness to act in response to faith to ever believe that he won't. 
or that he stopped doing that at some point in the past. Ours is a God who, as a heavenly father, loves to do more than is expected when his children will look up to him in trust and in faith. When they let him set his agenda, not demand that he follow theirs, yet always approaching him in a posture of hope and confidence and expectation. And that is God's invitation, and that is God's call to every follower of Jesus. Never to demand of him, but to live a life of great expectation. To live just as Peter and John were living right here. Turning people's attention from the material to the spiritual. Expanding people's expectations of what's possible with God. Living in in humble but confident faith before a doubting and hurting world. God calls people to help see that Jesus is very much alive and well. And he's saving in all sorts of ways. And then inviting all around to expect less of people. And more of God. That's how Peter and John and all the apostles lived day to day. That's what all the accounts in the book of Acts tell us. That's how Jesus wants his followers to live. So am I living like that? Are you living like that? In our conversations with people, are we content just talking about a little money for today? Or do our words turn people's attention to God and to the greater realities than just the here and the now? Are we increasing people's expectations of people? Or are we increasing people's expectations of God? Are we, like Peter and John here, helping those around us to to look up and to consider what God is capable of? Because that's where the hope is. I mean, that's where the power is. That's where we and all the hurting people around us will find fulfilled expectations. Real healing for both body and and for soul. So I ask again, do you have a big, outside-the-box, dream-sized expectation that only God can fulfill? Take it to him. Give him room to answer in his perfect way and time. But but take it to him. Exactly what he'll do, no one can really predict. But he always responds in ways that are more and better and higher and, and deeper than we expect. Father, would you help us be people who are always looking toward and and who are pointing others toward you, who you are, what you're capable of. Help us to trust you with our days and, and help us to lead others into that same sort of trust, a trust that involves patience. It does, and it involves humility, but it also involves confidence and expectation so that your great love and your great glory might be revealed in us, might be revealed through us. Thank you for promising to use your people 
in ways that bring honor to Jesus. May we be those people. And may our expectations of you be greater and greater and greater. In Jesus' name.